0: So, turn if you would, in your Bibles, we're going through the book of Acts. In our um, Sundays, we're going through the book of Acts, and uh, just looking at Acts. And we are only going to look, really, at a short text today, because it is kind of a text of controversy. And what I mean by controversy is that there are those who interpret it a little differently. But if you know me well enough, one of the things I always try to do is give you context. And so we're going to look at... Uh, a little bit more than one verse, just at least in reading. But we're going to go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and we'll be looking at Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 40. Uh, let's let uh, let's pray, and then we'll read. Do that, settle our hearts. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth that he gives to us. Thank you that uh, as Um, One has said that it is God's love letter to us, and as we read it and understand what you have done for us and you have given it to us, I pray that you would help us to just remember it, to be able to uh, live it out. And Father, as we study it, I pray that you would guide our thoughts and minds. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that is given at salvation, and as we learned before, just um, what took place at the time of Pentecost. And Father, the time we live in is a time where we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, helping us to understand more about how to live and how to grow and what your word says, convicting us of sin, helping us to share the gospel, to know what your word says. And until your return, I pray that we might live in such a way that would honor and glorify you, helping others see the love of Christ in our lives. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen. Right, verses. So Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 40. And it says, Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are after afar off. As many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. If you were here last week, you understand, and looking at the context, who Peter is speaking to. Uh, Earlier in the text, what takes place is they speak in different languages. Some of the other Jewish individuals from outlying areas, and they say, what's taking place? What's going on? How are these men all of a sudden speaking in a different language that they didn't learn? And then uh, he says, men of Israel, and talking specifically to these Jewish believers. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the prophecies. And he goes on and gives an introduction saying, Jesus ushered in what is going to take place, the time of the Holy Spirit, the last days, if you will. And they began at the time here with um, the initiation of Jesus Christ coming to earth and what will take place. And even Timothy talks about it. And uh, Peter f- talks about it, says the last day, excuse me, Paul talks about it in Timothy and says, In the last days perilous times shall come. Men should be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, heady, high-minded. And Peter here is speaking to these men, these Jewish individuals, and saying, guess what? The last days are going to be ushered in and, and with Jesus. But here it's a the Holy Spirit has come. And so as we look at what is taking place in Acts chapter 2, looking back, we have even in verse 17, it says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And some of these, as we look at, haven't even been fulfilled, but it says, I'll prophesy. And it shall come to pass that whosoever, the emphasis, verse 21, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he goes on and gives another Old Testament quote concerning David and talking about Jesus Christ and how he was greater than their patriarch David. David who would sit on the throne and says, guess what? There's one who's coming who will sit on the throne and it is David's heir. And he was greater than our father David, they called. And that was obviously Jesus Christ, and as we look at, coming through. And he gives these Old Testament passages to give kind of a background. And then in verse 37, the response. We look at the response of the people, and the people's response was, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Now, I don't know if you've ever been cut to the heart. But uh, what it's referring to is that if you... If someone has said something to you, it kind of convicts you. Maybe you were a teenager, okay? Think about being back in junior high. Some of you are in junior high, and some of you, if you think back in junior high, and uh, you have your first crush, oh, no, and, and then they find out you write a little note and say, do you love me? Check yes or no, and then your friend gives it away, and then they give it back, and oh, no, and then oh, no, your, your first crush, and you're cut to the heart, you know, and you're devastated for the rest of your life, right? Well, hopefully not. Some of you may be that emotion, But, you know, teenagers, young people are going through emotions. You can remember that time. It's a tumult of emotions. But also, remember, parents' hormones as well. The kids don't understand that, but it's a, a mix of hormones and emotions. But uh, things like that occur in our lives. The people that are closest to us can truly cut us to the heart. And there are those that happen. But here, what we see is, as we look in chapter 2 and verse 37, 40, the emphasis here is going to be as we look at repent and be baptized. But what does that mean exactly? Because there's some religions, some belief systems that uh, emphasize they believe that our final salvation is dependent on being made righteous through a cooperative effort of their own obedience. What that means, they say the instrumental causes are water baptism and additional issues of obedience that are church specific. <coughs> one of the things we believe in the Bible is that if you're a Baptist, doesn't mean that you're going to heaven. Um, if you are a certain religious, certain belief system, doesn't mean that you're automatically going to heaven. But it, and it doesn't mean that all Baptists are going to heaven. What we believe is what the Bible says is that, first of all, if you, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But there are some who believe, well, also baptism Also speaking in tongues. Some of these other elements are necessary for the completion. And we're going to look at that in text because I want you to say, um, first of all, I want to fairly represent because there are some who have, take passages. If you hold your spot and go to Mark 16, 16. Mark 16, 16. And the reason, and some of them, I've talked to, and even my friends, if we look at Mark 16, 16, we're going to look at a couple texts here and just verses that are used. Verse 16, 16 says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And so if we just take that, As it looks at it, it says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. So as we look at that, if we were to just take that verse, we could say, I can understand that it's salvation and baptism. If we look at another, John 3, 5. Uh, Moving forward, John 3, 5. Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water, and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then we have Acts 2.38. There's other texts that uh, will be used as what they call proof texts. That uh, it is, in order for salvation to come to an individual, it is belief and water baptism. And that's why um, we want to look at, thank you for bringing up that slide is salvation dependent upon the work of baptism? And I would say biblically it's not. And there's some other passages, if you want to write down, that they use. But I would like to speak on the reason why we believe that salvation comes by faith alone in Jesus Christ. See, in the book of John, the word believe occurs 90 times and is always used as a verb. And it's often, remember, the object of our faith. Some of the, some individuals outside of Christianity will say, well, I think... Uh, Christianity is weak because it's a crutch. Believe, 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 have enough faith. Well, you know, it's, it's, they see it as dependent upon how much you believe, if you could believe and have enough faith. And sometimes within Christian circles, they use that vocabulary, and that is not right either. If you have enough belief, something will not occur. It's kind of like, oh, I only have 50% today. I'm going to raise it up to 99%, believe in something, and it will come to pass. God is not like a vending machine, or uh, you know, some God that we say, "Okay, if I get a high enough grade, then I'm going to get what I want." It's not like school. And then there's a vending machine that say, "Oh, if I pray this and then push these buttons, then I'm going to get it out what I want." And that's not how God works. So, it's been manipulated in belief—believe enough and that it'll come to pass—and that is not how God works. And neither is it dep- is it uh, our own abilities for a um, a future event to come to pass. And that's where we need to look at the text because belief, our belief is our faith or trust in an object worthy of our trust, something that is trustworthy. Um, When I was younger, I used to have to clean out a chimney for my grandparents, and this ladder was a wooden ladder that um, was probably, I don't know, 30 30 feet high, something kind of high, okay, and I used to have to go by a telephone pole but if you've ever walked on a wooden ladder, there's certain things about wooden ladders. They have a certain bounce and give. And so it's like, oh, man, I always a little nervous, um, the frame. But you get up there, and it wasn't, it was just leaned against the building. And it, it would go up there. And so you're going up there. Well, the, well, what happens is I had, you have to trust that ladder and to sh- evidence that trust. How do you show evidence that uh, you trust that ladder? You climb up it. You go up on it. It is evidence. How do you? show faith that, and trust that you believe in these chairs. One time I was giving an illustration about trusting in a chair, you have to sit on it. So I did it, and it broke. I was like, oh, that's a terrible illustration. But understanding, it, it is an element of faith. Each of us demonstrate faith by our actions. And so here, as we look at the word believe occurring 90 times as a verb, there's confusion on what is descriptive and what is and what is doctrinal or teaching in the New Testament. So when we look at these texts, Sometimes what is written as just statement, but also what is prescriptive. If a doctor were to give you a prescription, he says, I want you to take this, this will occur. Some of us will say, okay, who paid them? Is it the big pharmaceutical company? You know, Is it, is it wrong? But prescriptive, what I mean is in the sense that if you follow this plan, then you'll get this result. And, and some of it based upon the authority of who gives it to you. So many of the arguments centered on baptismal regeneration, which they believe that if you need to be baptized by immersion to be saved. And they focus on the book of Acts. And if if we look at the book of Acts, remember the book of Acts is narrative. It's telling us what has occurred and looking back at the past and identifying some important events. So we're going to look at Uh, The book of Acts is a historical record more than a doctrinal treatise. And what I mean by that is in Acts, it tells what occurred in the early church. It explains what took place, the wind and the fire. It doesn't say that we should all go out and get clothes of fire on our head and wait for the breeze. Um, Maybe that's why they do the hurricane, those tornado chasers, right? But they explain what took place. And looking at the book of Acts, what happened to the conversion of Paul, we see in the first half of the book, it's about Peter. Peter, and the nation, and looking at uh, the Jewish uh, background and individuals, but then all of a sudden there's a change, and in 13 it, it switches, and then all of a sudden it's Paul and the Gentiles, but as we go through, it's a historical record, you go to the book of Timothy, and Titus, some other books, and it's more of this is what you are to do, stop doing this, watch out for false teachers, be careful, it's telling you what um, Prescriptive that you need to stop doing this, or this is what you do. This is the order of a pastor or deacon, and, and how you should arrange the church setting, how you are to do the Lord's Supper. It is more prescriptive. And as we understand that, that is what is going to be our basis, because in verse 38, it says, again, let me repeat it. Then Peter said to them, repent, and let every, every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at three truths this morning uh, regarding, first of all, repentance. Well, just the background. For repentance brings a change of heart. And where it says here, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay. It is not the gifts from the Holy Spirit it's not like Santa Claus is coming and he's going to bring his spiritual gifts this and I don't mean to make light but the gift is the Holy Spirit at salvation it says the gift is the Holy Spirit and we see that evidenced by that a few times but the Holy Spirit is the gift comes into the life of the Christian the moment they receive Jesus Christ as a personal Savior Baptism is the evidence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the new believer. So we're going to look at three truths. And if you have your notes and are following along, we'll try to keep those um, in check. So three truths. First of all, repentance and faith alone bring forgiveness. If you think about it, what takes place is here, um, Peter has confronted the Jewish nation. He says, "Hey, look! This is what takes place. Here's Jesus Christ. Here's what He's done. This is what this means." And when they heard that, they were cut to the heart, because he says, "You are the one who crucified Jesus." If you look at the context, verse 36 says, "Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ." Says, so "Guess what? You were involved in the direct crucifixion, which many of them were." Now, some of them weren't um, specifically, but they heard this and they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. and And they're asking, Peter, what do we do? What is our response? If Jesus is the Messiah, how do we respond? Peter says to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. First of all, repentance. What is repentance? If you think about repentance, it is a change of direction. Literally, repentance is a change of heart. The problem is, in today's society, is when someone says, we say to our child, okay, say that you're sorry, and what does the child do? Sometimes they might do it right away. Sometimes they might say, I don't want to. Get them to do a sibling. Say "Say you're sorry to your sibling. Oh, yeah. That's going to be really genuine, right? I know each of you, if you have siblings, you know, many were not genuine. It's like, okay, say you're sorry. I'm sorry. You know, and go on. But guess what? Five minutes later, bam, 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 you know, and wrestle and headlock and, You know, you have them and, hey, were you really sorry? Probably not. Just say sorry because that's the right thing to do. Maybe we do it as adults. Say you're sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. And then, you know, we badmouth and talk about it. And you know what? We're not really sorry. But that is not repentance. Saying you're sorry is not repentance. We just know that that's uh, what we're supposed to do because that's what society dictates. But confession to say what God already knows, admit that you're a sinner, but then also understand that uh, there's faith in Jesus Christ involved. And when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, when we understand under the conviction of sin as a a sinner and come before a holy God, we're not going to keep on that same path. We're going to have a change of direction. And that is what repentance is. If you hold your spot and look at Luke 23, 40. Go back to Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, 40 through 43. Go to um Acts 1043. Maybe a little bit confusing, but let me show you Acts 1043 as we go to 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 43. Acts 1043 says to him. All the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him shall receive remission of sins. And when we look at the word remission of sins, because we don't use the word remission anymore. But the essence of the good news to which all the prophets witness, there has to be initial repentance in order to receive forgiveness. And what is mistaken is that it's a two-part agreement. There are those who might say, oh, I would love to receive the gift. Yeah, if you were to offer something and say, oh, I'm going to give away a $500 coupon. Okay, you might even have won it, but in order for that transaction to be complete, you have to go get it and use it. And in the remission of sin, the work of Jesus Christ coming to die on the cross, in the agony of the garden, he understood what was going to have to take place to suffer, to die. And that led to being able to die to pay the penalty for all the sins of the world. Vicarious atonement. And it was a picture of the Old Testament and that forgiveness of sins that now there is no p- punishment. But guess what? That doesn't mean that everyone goes to heaven. What happens is the price and penalty has been paid, but there are many who will say, well, I can do it on my own. Or I don't need, need God And we see that, and what happens is there is no repentance. There is no admission, understanding what it means to be truly forgiven. Some of it, we haven't seen that picture. But here, repentance and faith alone brings forgiveness of sin. And true forgiveness is important because oftentimes we don't see true forgiveness, what it means to forgive someone else. Have you ever heard someone say, I can forgive, but I can't what? Forget. Have they really forgiven? No, because there was always that obstacle, that stumbling block before them. Because true forgiveness, the biblical picture, in the Word of God, it says, your sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. And uh, maybe wrong direction, that's east, that's west. But to be uh, geographically correct, but understanding is that how far east is from the west, it's like, okay, keep going. You know, oh, we live on a sphere, so will we go around the circle and around the globe, and then the East becomes the West, but we could look at it in that sense, but we know that it's designed as a picture. The East is from the West. The whole point is is that you, we don't remember the sins. God does not remember our sins, and that's hard for us, humanly speaking, because we're emotional people. We have memories. You can remember things about your childhood. Some are very good. Some may have lasting scars, ...as what has occurred in its heart, and and they're traumatic. And also we look at the picture of forgiveness from other people. People who sometimes we've needed forgiveness from, and they've denied us forgiveness. But what are you to do? You are to only change your heart. You can't change them, so obviously in your part. And then there's some who we, we withhold forgiveness from others... But the true picture that we see is the biblical picture of what true forgiveness is, and that's from God. And the fact that he came and died on the cross to forgive our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins, to give us eternal life. That's hard for us to understand because we're always looking for an angle. Well, what does God want? Or, well, what's the catch? And that's why mankind develops our own understanding and interpretation, and we try to add something. Because we want something tangible to see that, okay, you know, I've, I've sacrificed, I've, I've suffered, I put something in. How about this? Let me ask you this just to, you can raise your hand or not, but suppose we're all at a, a, um, a work potluck, okay? There are those who are going to bring in great potlucks, you know, um, food. There's others who are going to buy something, no big deal. Then there's going to be the moocher. Now, if you've ever worked in a business or a, a company setting, there's the moocher. And the moocher is the one who sometimes steals people's lunches, does not bring in anything. There could be 20 potlucks, and he doesn't bring in anything. Um, oh, he might grab someone else's chips. Here's what I brought in. You know, and it's just simply they, they never contribute anything. And the whole point is that, and I lost my point, is in that... Uh, Forgiveness, and as we look at it, what takes place is, oh, boy, that's terrible. I did forget my point in all of that. I got distracted by the moocher. But the whole point, oh, what it was is that everyone wants to contribute to give a part because we feel that there's value when we give a part in something. And most people aren't like, hopefully most people aren't like the moocher. You see that there's, you understand that there's value or you want to contribute something. That's why sometimes it's hard for us when something happens to us, you're used to giving to other people. When people want to help you out, you're like, oh, no, I can can do it on my own. That's naturally how many people are. But um, what occurs is that, humanly speaking, it's the same way in salvation. We want to contribute. We want to give something because then we say, okay, at least I've contributed and given part of it. And so that I can see that I've done part of the work. That's part of the human nature, but that's not Correct. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace I say through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that is how we are naturally. We want to talk about ourselves or even in false humility. Let me keep moving. Um, first thing, repentance and faith alone bring forgiveness of sins. The object of our faith is worthy of our trust. It is not the amount of faith you have. It is where you place your faith. That is an important key, because sometimes we put our our faith in what God can do, but also, just as a little security, what I can do as well. Or there are those who believe in polytheism in the Old Testament. They said, okay, I'll believe that this um, this God can prevent us from famine, and then this one as well. I'll believe in that one. Those who involved in missionaries, when they went somewhere else, it's called syncretism. They said, okay, I'll believe in this, and as a safety, I'll believe in this one. That's why sometimes good luck charms. People are naturally drawn to that because, okay, if that works, if if it fails, then maybe I have this backup. But repentance, turning, and faith in Christ alone brings forgiveness of sins, the remission of sins. And what that is, that's a complete removal. Doesn't mean that, oh, guess what? Can bring it up later. I'm saving that for a really good argument. It's not how God works. In the courtroom setting, it's as if we, we, there's, I talked about it before, it's not that we were acquitted, it's that we can't even be charged anymore. Next thing, Acts 2 demonstrates a model or pattern. A model or pattern. As we look through in the, in the Bible, even historically, there is a model or pattern. And in some of these texts we look at, first comes salvation, then comes baptism a model or pattern. What took place was they often repented, asked for forgiveness of their sins, and then there was an outward expression. Remember, even in Acts chapter 2 earlier, talking about the baptism of John, John the baptism. There was an outward expression that demonstrated that they truly wanted to repent of their sins. And then all of a sudden we see what takes place is the, the expression of when there is faith in Jesus Christ, there has to there is a, especially in the first century, there was a demonstration that now I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. When we partake and have a baptism, there is an accountability not only for the individual who is baptized saying, I want to follow after Christ as a testimony, but also to those who are witnesses. that sometimes saying, okay, we will help you and we'll pray for you. And uh, we care about you and want you to live for Christ as well. But it's a model or pattern. So first comes faith in Jesus Christ, and then comes the baptism. They often occurred simultaneously um, because of what took place, that expression. And we see that in the New Testament. But there's other places in the Bible where someone has faith in Jesus Christ, but guess what? They weren't immediately baptized. And so as we look at the third is context and grammar. So go to the next slide. Context and grammar reveal meaning of words. We believe that all of God's word is equally inspired. And what that means, is it is God's word. However, when we read and study the word of God, I would not recommend that you just, okay, I'm going to start in the book of Zephaniah today and read that. And whatever it says, I'm going to do. The day of the Lord's wrath. I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. Oh, no, guess what? God's going to consume everything. I better sell all my stuff, get rid of everything, and uh, be careful because God's going to consume everything. Well, that's what the word of God says, right? But we have to read in context. We read as a literal interpretation, but we understand what is taking place. The danger is then there's some who will read and say, I think it means this and um, allegory. But as we understand what it said historically, what was taking place at that time of the writing, it helps us understand context. Now, we can look at politics. Oh, I was taken out of context. You know, everything, words change. Words do have meaning, and it's challenging. But most oftentimes, as we look at the words that were spoken, God used human language. And the danger is that man created lawyers, and so now there's a twisting of words, and It's uh, one of those challenges because words can be confusing. And even if we think about historically, some words that have, quote unquote, changed their meaning. And as a society, what has taken place is we interpret those words differently. Uh, There are words that were used in different past generations that mean something totally different. And um, so as we go through, we want to look at context and grammar because do they? Do we take the meaning now, presently, or what was what they meant then? And that's where what has often been confused is people try to take today's meaning on these words, or change the meaning. But looking at what was taking place, Peter speaking in Acts two, and how is he using the words in the context signifies the definition of the word. I usually don't talk a lot about Greek and Hebrew just because um, it's not my point. I, but here today we're going to look at a word is ice, and it can be translated in two, two ways. And if you look at the text in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it says, When Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And ice is the word in Greek and English of the word for, translated here as for, for the remission of sins. So as we look at it, we could say um, it can be referred to, to, in order to obtain because of or on account of. So if I were to say, he went um, to the store for bread, ice. He went to the store for bread. He went to get bread, obtain. But that would be different of, he went, um, he went to jail. He went to prison for his belief. Um, that's on account of. That's different because he didn't go to get something, he went because of something. Do you see the difference in there? And as we look at, well, what difference does one word make? But it does make a difference. And that's what, as we look at scripture, understanding what this means. And so we look at this text, but we also want to look at other texts to understand what the meaning is. Does it mean specifically that in order to be baptized, in order to be saved, you need baptized for the remission of sins? But if we if we were to look at it with that translation, it could say two ways. Some read it, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for their mission sins, in order to get salvation, or is it because of salvation? And then where do we divide it? Because repent is separate, and let every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and be baptized. So the separation there as well. But we look at the book of Acts, another example, and what I try to do is, I know it's a little inductive study, but what we want to do is look at Peter. Peter's the one speaking, so he's the one who kind of has authority. Does he use this in other ways, or does he use it differently in other ways? Hold your spot, go to Acts, um, just a page over, Acts 3, verse 19. And we'll start in verse 17 because remember when they spoke and talked about repentance it says verse 17 Yet now brethren I know that you did it in ignorance as did also your rulers but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer has thus fulfilled Look he doesn't even talk about spiritual gifts in there and so we see that summer summarizing again and then verse 19 repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent, therefore, and be converted. Be saved, that your sins may be blotted out. Doesn't even include uh, baptism there. So, understand this is Peter, the same author, talking. We could look at Acts uh, chapter 10, verse 43 and 48. There's other passages in Acts as we look at the text. Acts 10, 43 through 48. And it says again, To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And then it says, Peter, while still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision, the Jewish who believed, were astonished because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. And as we look, it takes place here. What's interesting is Peter here speaks about how repentance has come to the Gentiles even before they were baptized with water. Repent, plural, given to all of you. Believe in Christ. And then specifically in singular, what it says is, be baptized by water, singular, every one of you. Back in Acts 2.38, he calls upon the group. It says, all of you call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He says, repent, all of you. And then singular, in the original is that be baptized every one of you. I want you to afterwards, and what will happen is you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, or could be translated that is the Holy Ghost. You will receive the Holy Spirit, and that is the promise that what we believe scripturally is that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, but also the gift of the Holy Spirit at that time. What does that mean? Seals. Those who are who is their own. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden we believe in. In a, uh, those, a mystical, you know, something enters inside us and we shake and a burning in the bosom or what takes place. It is not that occurring, a slaying in the spirit, have some said. And sometimes you don't feel any different. Sometimes you think, oh, you know, I have, I have, what is that? Oh, wait, that's the pizza I ate last night. I shouldn't have had those peppers. Nothing explodes and um, it's not like, oh, that in love syndrome, if we come to that, oh, sometimes, you know, oh, the in love syndrome where someone, you fall in love, and then, oh, that person's perfect, and there's butterflies and roses and all that. When the Holy Spirit comes into our life, it isn't that there is significant experience. It's not experiential, but what takes place is, is faith and truth. You're believing in God will do what he promised, and he has done that, and now the Holy Spirit helps us understand how to live and sealing and guiding us. And the final evidence, 1 Corinthians 1, 11 through 17. Sorry, we've been going around a little bit of scripture, but 1 Corinthians verse 1, 11 through 17, and we'll finish up with this. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 11 through 17, and it says, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, f- by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentious contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you, Says, I am a Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, Peter, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household, Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize. Wait a second. See, there is a little bit of clarity. While Baptism is an important part because it's the external expression, and he commands us to be baptized. But we see here the specificity of the purpose. Paul, speaking, says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Understanding is that the gospel, in that the Paul believes in spirit baptism, which we specified is different, the spirit of God coming in and immersing, coming into the individual at the moment of salvation. But water baptism was not a part of the gospel. But it is, he says, be baptized because you are saved. Go ahead and advance that slide a little late so that they can see that. Water baptism and salvation. There's a distinction between the two between water, baptism, and salvation. And that's what we need to understand is the distinction. Does it mean that um, we shouldn't do both? No, because both is important. Salvation comes first. As we see uh, methodologically, um, first of all comes salvation. And then what comes is the expression that we, want, we should be baptized to demonstrate that we have followed after Christ. And that is an important part because what takes place is that we are to be baptized. So go to the next slide. We are to be baptized because you are saved. Because you have a relationship, a new relationship with Jesus Christ. You have a new destiny. And that's why it's so important because it is an external response to an internal action of what Jesus Christ has done for your life. It's not a sacrament or a way to receive extra grace. It is, not, it is a step of obedience and a visible way to demonstrate our faith. God calls on each one of you to demonstrate your faith throughout your lives. But water baptism is an example of saying that I am going to follow after Christ. And the Bible gives us two ordinances or expressions as we look at that we are to follow. One is the Lord's Supper that we do every other month, but also baptism. And what that is is a demonstration is that... Uh, People give their testimony to come to Christ, that they've come to Christ, but it's also evidence saying, now I want to commit my life to Christ, and I want to do it publicly. You can come to Christ where you're at um, in your seat. You can confess your sins, place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life, ask him to give you eternal life. You don't need to come forward, and we don't have, per se, altar calls. What's most important is that you individually make that decision to trust Christ as your personal Savior. However, you could live like that and maybe be hidden if you want and no one would know about it. But an external visible display, there's an accountability. There's also a demonstration that I want to make my faith visible and to follow after Christ, that example. It's not always easy. There's some who've done it later in life, some who've done it younger. some I know some who've been totally afraid of water because it's going over their head. But it's an important step because baptism by immersion is an act of obedience. But it comes after the act of salvation, repentance. And th- just I want to express to you this morning that if you haven't done either, the book of Acts, as we talk about historically, these Jewish individuals were say, what do we do? Because the other thing that we have to remember is that their background was Jewish. So to be baptized Remember, these were individuals who were circumcised, part of the Jewish Judeo Judeo faith. And now, almost in leaving that, it's saying, guess what? I'm going to be baptized by immersion and saying, now I'm not trusting in the law, the Old Testament that I follow. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And that is a visible demonstration. So if you hear this more, never place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I would encourage you today is the day to do it because you can know for sure that you have eternal life. That is a promise. You're not trusting yourself. You're trusting in the promise of Jesus Christ. Secondly, if you've never participated in believer's baptism, it's an act of obedience. Not always easy, but it is a benefit because it demonstrates that you're in a right relationship with God, but also that you want to commit your life to Christ, to serving Him. It's not always easy, but it is a blessed thing. And as we think about an act of love, the greatest display of love, what greater response can we have that we show that we love someone by an act of obedience? Because if you say you love someone but you don't obey your parents, you don't um, follow or obey the instructions, your husband or wife says, would you please do the dishes? No, I'm not going to do that. Or if they say, If they ask you to do something, you say no. You know, that's not an act of love. Be faithful. If a friend tells you, say, hey, if you, you know, let me, will you do this? Now, you don't use it as a manipulation tool, but by your actions, it's a demonstration of who we love. As even stewardship, you know, if you love money, you're going to follow after that. If you love work, you'll follow after that. What you love most, it'll be demonstrated by your actions. If you love Christ, how do you demonstrate that in your life? And that's what I want you to think about.